Blog Talk Radio. Again, I you know I I, I have to laugh, uh, Adrian, because no one ever listens to this show for my technical expertise. I have to tell you that right up front. <laughs> <laughs> Engineering is not my strong suit, um, so please forgive the little bloops and the the music bed that won't uh, uh, reduce in sound. And you know uh, that that's not why we're here, I guess. Um, Thank you for joining us. For you out there uh, who listen to the show routinely, you know that that's my my ongoing pitch, and uh, apologies for that. But for some reason, I just can't seem to get past my technical ineptitude. We have a show today that I think is fascinating. We are talking about gender and language. And uh, talking while female is a catchphrase that I picked up from one of the the, uh, articles that I read in preparation for the show. And joining us today is um, Adrienne Hancock. Welcome, Dr. Hancock. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. And is it all right if I called you Adrienne? Yes, please do. Okay, great. Um, you were a participant in a stu- well, you were a uh, uh, an author of a study along with Benjamin Rubio, Rubin, Rubin, um, on the influence of communication partners' gender on language. When we talk about this whole gender and language, um, my first thought goes to how women tend to, I'm sorry, and minimize, and, uh, you know, we, mm-hmm. we just tend to do that. I think uh, we're getting, uh, as, as, a, as a collective uh, species, we tend to be moving away from that a little bit. But it's kind of like mm-hmm. uh, if you do move away from it, if you don't soften your language, um, people, especially maybe in the business uh, force, tend to see you as being challenging or abrasive. That's mm-hmm. been my personal experience. Is that what you found in your study? Well, I think there's there's two questions from our, our perspective. One is, is that really true? Do women talk differently than men? And the, the follow-up is, if so, why? Why would they do that or why would they keep doing that? Uh, or perhaps is there some advantage to it? So I guess the, the first question about do women and men speak differently, the real basic answer is no. However, there's always, there's always a however, there's always a caveat, right? Um, There are tendencies. And so then it allows us to uh, ask the second question, which is, okay, so, so when are there really not differences between men and women and when are there? And, I think you're you're right. You alluded to, you know, maybe as a collective we're moving away to that. And when this body of research started, I think, it, with Robin Lakoff in the, in the 70s, of talking about language and a woman's place and men using language to dominate women, that's sort of referred to as the dominance theory uh, that yep. came about in the, in the 70s or even 60s, uh, that has sort of fallen away as we've chipped away at this question. And now there there is a notion of a gender-linked language effect. However, 
it becomes really fascinating because there's so many mediating variables or, or other factors there. So for example, in the study that Ben Rubin and I did, we looked at, well, maybe it matters who you're talking to and specifically the gender of the person you're talking to. So as a female, do I talk differently to a, a man than I would to a woman? And then uh -huh. let's say Ben, for instance, as a male, does he talk differently to a man or a woman? And the literature sort of led us to hypothesize that, you know what, Adrian, being the woman, probably does change her language depending on who she's talking to. Ben, being a man, might not. And so then that ah. led to not just like what we said, but how we decided what we said, which I think is, is uh, a, a really fascinating sort of interpersonal, almost, almost a psychology kind of question, uh, which is why this was published in the Journal of Language and Social Psychology. Um, so we, we really looked into the context and we said, okay, well, if, if it happens sometimes, when does it happen? Why does it happen? And so then we found out that communication partner actually does matter. And that, well, that makes who sense you're talking to, to dictates it how makes sense to me. you say that. I mean, we, we alter our language based on who we are speaking with. I mean, if you are speaking with another academic, you might uh, use terminology that you wouldn't necessarily use if you were talking to me in a restaurant. Sure. And we would call that code switching. We're sort of using a code, a form. You talk to your boss differently than you talk to your spouse, differently than you talk to your child. We, co we call that code switching. So we thought maybe this is sort of related to code switching. Mm -hmm. So then we thought, well, why do, why do women do it more than men do it? Uh, so well. we, look, we, we found <laughs> ah, out, well. <laughs> right, so it, it still gets back to gender differences uh, sort of at the core of it, but a little slightly different than, than we first were thinking. Um, we had, let me back up about the design. We had a male and a female talk to our participants and for about three-minute conversation. And then we just transcribed what the participants said, and then we coded what they said for these different sort of linguistic variables, including hedges, like you mentioned. Well, what if maybe, which we think of women uh, tending to yep. say more, uh, and, and a bunch of, of other things, uh, interruptions. There's a, a lot of... Ah, uh, uh, yes debate around when women get interrupted, particularly if they're interrupted by a man. That must be disrespectful. Why do men interrupt women? So that That's interesting. I would have thought, yeah. I, now, I'm interrupting you here, but that's what we do in radio. <laughs> oh, I will um, tell you why you are in a moment. Yeah. <laughs> For very good reason I would have you thought it, I, I would have thought it would have been just the different. Not different. I would have thought that if women interrupt mm -hmm. men, they would perceive it as a, a greater transgression than if men interrupt women. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So, but I I think it, it depends on the context. Uh, and what our our so our findings were that most of the time it didn't matter except for two variables. One was interruption, and one was dependent clauses. So let me talk about the interruption one. Well, first um, of all, let me interrupt you <laughs> mm -hmm. and toss out our phone number. Uh, if okay. you would like to call in and join this conversation, uh, please give us a call six four six three seven eight. 0430. That's 646-378-0430.
You can also jump into our chat room, which is open on the website, and uh, you can uh, type in a question or comment, and I'll be happy to share it uh, with our guest. And uh, let's continue with the conversation, Adrian. Well, we found, and this is pretty consistent with previous research, that uh, the biggest, the person that gets interrupted most was our female examiner. So yes, females get interrupted more. What's interesting is that actually the female participants interrupted female examiner more often than the male participants did. So the biggest transgressor, transgressor in terms of who interrupts women is actually other women. But don't you think that when we as women, when we talk, we see talking as an, well, let me find the right word for it, more of an interactive process. Mm-hmm. We, I, I know mm-hmm. some people who communicate by they say their piece, they stop, and then you have your turn to say your piece. It seems to me, anecdotally, of course, that when women speak, we tend to jump in and, and we see that right. as a way of connecting more. Right, and that is that. See, you, you could have, if you've written that 30 years ago, you could have called the theory after yourself. Um, that is <laughs> called accommodating and af- wanting to affiliate, or as you called it, connect with your other speaker. So when you interrupt some, as a, as a female interrupting another female, it's because females tend to um, move faster towards being friends and affiliating, whereas men. Talk, like, so a man talking to a man, they take a little longer to get to that point in their relationship where interrupting is not a sign of trying to obtain power. So women oh. get to that point of interruption is okay and not offensive faster mm-hmm. than, you know, the male dyads. You know, that's so interesting exactly what you, that, what that you thought. language that language um, in, in whatever way it happens to be done could be perceived as a way to get power. Right, particularly from the male point of view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that they used to say is that men talk to communicate a point, women talk to establish a point. Does that m- mm. make sense? That that. Women do see language as something more interactive, a way of bonding, which is what you're saying, uh, a mm-hmm. way of working things out rather than mm-hmm. a be-all and end-all. Is mm-hmm. that what you found? We didn't examine it exactly in those terms, but that is it, our findings would fit with that theory, and I, I think that's fairly uh, consistent with what I've read in terms of the background literature. Um, I don't know how you would measure exactly their intentions. That's true. It would be interesting to try and work that out, though, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Well, in your your, uh, study, you talked about conversational consistency. What do you mean by conversational consistency? Let's see. Um, I'm trying to remember what that was. Oh, so I think it, it um, that was talking about sort of uh, we were checking to make sure that we didn't have counter um, sort of underlying variables at play. So 
we happen to have a couple male communication partners and female communication partners, and we trained them so that really the only thing different about their language um, that there wasn't anything really. So they had scripts, okay. you know, they were, you know, whatever the topic was. And we tried to use gender neutral topics like, you know, reality TV or, you know, what do you think of people texting and walking or using cell phones? Um, but we wanted to make sure that like all the male examiners were consistent with one another. So we, we had some ways to, um, to look at sort of their conversational consistency. But that leads us to, if we can jump ahead to the limitation of the study, uh, which is, um, something that another concept that I find really fascinating called gender salience. So yes, that was what. If, tell me what that if, means. Okay, so gender salience is sort of how feminine I'm feeling at the moment. I identify as a female, so you know, am I particularly female right now or not? And um, if, for instance, I had just done something rather feminine, like gone and got a manicure, a manicure and pedicure, and then come to have a conversation with you, I might be feeling particularly feminine, as opposed to if I had done something um, more masculine, like... Um, Fixing the leak in the sink. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Going, <laughs> going to the mechanic or something. Um, yes. Now, those are very stereotypical gender things, but some research has shown that they can induce gender salience, and the same person might perform differently on a task depending on their sort of state of gender salience. Likewise, I think the examiner's gender salience might matter. So um, I don't remember, honestly, if Ben had a beard during this study or not. Uh, um, I don't think he had facial hair for this point, So, but maybe if he had, he would have looked oh, even more manly. Um, so those sorts of things. We wanted to make sure that, that those little nuances were not the cause of our significant findings. Oh, okay. So that's what we were looking at for gender consistency. I mean, I mean sorry, con- conversational consistency. It was like a self-check on ourselves. Yeah, yeah. But I still think gender salience is a really interesting concept for people. Uh, if, if you find yourself doing those hedges and interrupting the other person, is it because you are feeling particularly um, affiliative, like wanting to connect with them, which some people would say is more feminine. But my point is maybe we don't have to call it masculine and feminine or male and female. Maybe we can just call it, are you in mood to affiliate with this person or to um, create more of a distinction. And there are instances where you want to create a distinction between the person and yourself, and you want to establish your own power. Mm-hmm. If I'm being a little inconsistent here myself, but I wanted to go back to, uh, basically you said when we started this conversation, that the your study indicated that there were two main areas of difference uh, between the mm-hmm. genders. One was with the area of interruption and the other was within the area of dependent clauses. We're going to talk more about those dependent clauses later on, but I'd like to kind of jump back to the interruption. Um, mm-hmm. In your study, you mention um, subordination theory, and when I hear subordination theory, I think, okay, subordination, let's, let's forget about the theory, and interruption. Mm-hmm. What does interruption have to do? How do you tie that in with subordination? Because I would think that if I were interrupting you, we had just we have just talked a little bit about how that's kind of like a more of a power, sometimes perceived as more of a power grab. Mm-hmm. So 
female subordination, and yet females tended to interrupt more. Explain that for me, will you? Sure. So in the in the subordination, the person who is dominant interrupts, and the person who is subordinate gets interrupted. Okay. Um, and so a lot of times, for instance, there, I think last year there was a panel uh, where the chairman of Google interrupted um, someone from the U.S. Office of Technology Policy or something, oh, and yeah. everyone pounced on him. And that was basically saying he was being dominant, and he was forcing the woman to be subordinate. Mm-hmm. And I, would, I guess I would have to watch that exchange to see if I felt like he was trying, interrupting in order to establish authority or if he was interrupting in order to be more informal. I suspect on a panel he might have thought he was being informal. Um, and right now we're having a conversation. It's informal. But, for instance, if you were in a situation where there were other things at play, like um, a spousal situation where you're supposed to be sort of equal, but one person is doing all the interrupting and the other person doesn't feel like they are able to interrupt. So, for instance, um, what's common where the male is the aggressor and he always is interrupting the wife, but the wife, whenever she interrupts the husband, gets penalized or said, you know, why do you interrupt me? And so there's this rule that she can't interrupt, but he can. That's an imbalance. That's not an affiliative. We're interrupting to show that we're being informal. That's an interruption to show that I'm saying I'm dominant and you're subordinate. And that's an unfortunate case that maybe might be a a sign or a little red flag um, or a confirmation of, of other behaviors that you see. If, if that's happening in the context of a lot of things. But um, so that, like I said, you, just because you're interrupted, you shouldn't necessarily think, oh, they want to be friends with me, or oh, they're trying to dominate me. You, you really have to look at it in the context. If it's a police officer who is interrupting you, they are probably trying to establish authority um, because it's for their safety. So the, depending on the context, it, interruptions can be interpreted as sort of insulting or not. Okay. Or or a power grab. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It will yeah. be really interesting to see in the debates coming right off of the uh, conventions uh, when they're debating a male and a female up there who will interrupt oh. more because I'm sure they're not doing it to affiliate. Um, so it might be interesting <laughs> to see who gets interrupted more. I, I, I bet somebody's going to be tallying that. Well, you know, it would be interesting to actually have a tally because uh, my gut feeling is that if one gender interrupts the other, it will be perceived differently, even if it's the same number of times of interruption. You know what I'm saying? That could be. Mm-hmm. Like the, I, I'm, the, I'm, when Hillary gets interrupted by Trump, that's not right. You should interrupt a woman. As a rude, yep. obnoxious oaf. Oh, wait, mm-hmm. no, okay, never mind, I won't comment on that. But, um, but, but, but if she interrupts <laughs> him, will she be, you know, uh, she's a, a harpy, she's a, mm-hmm. you know, what, I mean, what are, are the other adjectives? I think that has happened to females in male-dominant professions, such as politics, for a long time. A female does something that men, you know, linguistically, that men have been doing forever, but when the female does it, it's looked upon as, oh, she's she's full of herself, or she, you know, gets called names. And I, I think it's it's really interesting that sort of double standard 
that we have. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and the other thing that I know, this has nothing to do with language, but the other thing that I've noticed that's different is there's been no mention of age in this uh, election cycle. And I remember mm. previous election cycles between two men where age was a huge thing. Suddenly mm. we're not talking about age. Now, is that because we're paying homage to the the whole idea that we don't talk about an age age with a woman or what? I don't know, but it's an interesting thing, mm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I think they're you pretty know. close in age. It, it might be a yeah. point in this, this election because yeah, they're well, pretty close. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But any, well, it, when when we started with the whole big bushel basket full of candidates, there was a lot of variety there, right. and I didn't Much hear it then. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, that's an aside. Sorry about that. I'm interrupting. Okay, so... Um, I'm going to take what, that what to mean you're trying to affiliate and connect. Okay, as a, as yeah, let's take it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Again, if you would like to call in and join us, 425, uh, I'm sorry, 646-378-0430. We have a couple people in the chat room. Feel free to just make a, a comment there, and I will share it with Adrienne. I find this kind of conversation very interesting. Um, I, I think differences in the genders is a fascinating thing. Um, uh, that just personally, I find it that way. And so, when I was hearing about language studies, and uh, you know, that, that makes a big difference. When you're talking about, we have to take these things in context. Um, mm. We were talking off the air a little bit about a study that that. I didn't, you know, I haven't committed to memory, but just the title of the study, I think, uh, is interesting. Uh, The title of the study was Gender in Language and Gender in Employment, which brings the whole thing to my mind of, okay, when we're talking about context, particularly an interruption, is that do you think that that's, and you may have to just guess this, you know, because your study Mm -hmm. didn't focus on this, but do you think that that context in employment makes a big difference in the interruption? Sure. So so your relationship with authorities over you, such as your boss, and it'd be interesting if your if your boss was the same gender as you or a different gender? Yes. Yeah. Right? Mhm. So I think what's interesting so the first thing people think of is like, "Oh, is my boss a man or woman?" But what I would suggest is to go further than that and say, "Oh, is my boss the same or different gender than me?" Okay. It's a different question, really. So, um, you know, I'm female, so my boss is male, uh, which means he's male and would be a different gender. So, my interactions with him are probably, or my language with him, particularly in the first year, would probably be different than if my boss was female, and I probably would. Uh, be more casual and do more hedges and not mind being interrupted if my boss was female. But if my boss is male, I will probably not want those interruptions so much um, from him. So it really makes a difference, the interaction between between the genders, I think. Yeah, You can use yeah. interruptions – to become closer to someone by letting them interrupting you more, um, by by letting them interrupt you, and as a way of taking the turn from you, mm-hmm. or if if you are trying to not let them have that much um, power, I guess, then you would not let that interruption be successful, or you would start interrupting them more. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. So, so interruption one, could just be a whole big study all on its own. <laughs> oh, yes. And there are, there are. Yes, there are. There's different types of interruptions. Um, there's also, you know, when you talk and you're agreeing with someone and you're, you're sort of nodding your head or saying, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Those are also very powerful. And women do tend to do those more. Again, for the same reason, they want to affiliate, they want to connect, they want to communicate to that other person that yet we're on the same page, we're together, even in a disagreement sometimes. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I've seen that, I've used that, um, because that's kind of a debate tool, you know, you, you, if you disagree with somebody, if you're, you know, uh, uh, Hillary and the Donald, and, and you want to uh, come to make a, an agreement you have to keep backing up until you can find that point of agreement, until you can mm-hmm. find that, you know, I mean, even if you're backing all the way up to the sky is blue, yes, we both see the sky is blue, mm-hmm. okay, boom, now we have our basis for affiliation, and we can move right. forward from that, and, and you know, mm-hmm. so um, that makes great sense to mm-hmm. me. Um, I mean, it's an argument it... as to why women are are good at negotiating, and, and that women negotiate differently than men do, I I would think that isn't part of my study but I think negotiations are different and it's because they have a sense of getting to that common ground a lot faster than men do Hmm. women have the tendency to want to affiliate yeah now your study isn't particularly about particular words and language that's used but there have been a number of studies that um, talk about how women use make different word choices different um, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's just anecdotal information that we have right. about. Well, there's types uh, of words. So, for instance, um, I, I should also talk about what we didn't find in our study. We, we tested about 10 variables, and only the two came up as really making a difference. So variables that other, other uh, studies have said women do more of, such as um, hedges and tag mm-hmm. questions and fillers like um and you know and Really, those those actually didn't come up as as different. What about the, the diminutives? You know, I, I, the, uh, the minimizers. Right. What I call the minimizers. Mm-hmm. The oh well, I'm no expert, but and you know, well, you know, excuse me for mm-hmm. this, or I'm so sorry, or you know, I, what what I call the kind of minimizers. Even though right. you I didn't think find those would, those would sort of count as hedges. We didn't have very many of those just because our context was a three minute conversation. Um, but I think they're similar, used similarly as hedges are, um, such as like I Explain, think. please, a hedge. What is a hedge? Give an example. Uh, let's see. What do we count as a hedge here? For example, um, kind of, or I think so, I wonder if, so it, you're sort of qualifying it. You, you're not saying it quite as strongly as you could. I've noticed just even since doing this study that in my emails, I, let's say I want to say, write an email saying um, we need to go to the grocery store on the way home. I will say, I think we should go to the grocery store on the way home. Yeah. And I realize that I, I should just take that I think off. I don't need it. It's unnecessary. It's a hedge. And I just try to be more direct. It's, it's almost the difference between indirect and, and direct uh, a little bit. So you can think of a hedge but, as being a little bit more indirect, qualifying it a little bit. It, it, is, it strikes me, though, that hedges can be very useful. 
And, and it seems to me that there's a difference. It would seem to me that if I were writing a business email, um, I think we should consider building the building on the south lot. Um, that might not be as appropriate as we should build the building on the south lot. But if I'm talking to uh, my friend about, I think we should go to this one tonight, you know, this venue tonight instead mm-hmm. of the other venue. Mm-hmm. Did you find, well, there again, we're talking context. Um, exactly. But I guess what I'm saying is is that hedges aren't necessarily all bad, are they? Don't they kind of grease no, the skills of communication? None of, yeah, none, none of these things are bad or good. That's okay. even interruptions are not as as you mentioned. The interruptions are good. They show that you're being casual and informal. So none, it's not a good bad thing. It's just a look at it in the context and is that is that a genuine what you meant thing? Okay. It so, seems to me so often when we talk about and this just could be me, but so often when we talk about the differences between men and women, whether it's how you make the bed or how you speak, um, oftentimes. I think our kind of natural go-to place is, well, then we need to jump to the power position. And since the power position mm-hmm. is traditionally male, mm-hmm. uh, you know, do we as women want to uh, uh, start talking more as, as as males talk? So I'm glad that you point out that, you know, the, the context is so important and um, mm-hmm. the the function of the talk the reason for the talk is so important, mm-hmm. I, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I like that. Nothing, not I, good or bad. I would love if, for these tools to be you, read by women and thought, oh, that's right. I, I use that hedge out of habit, but in this situation, maybe that's why he didn't take me seriously is because I, I had a hedge, right? So so next time I'm not going to hedge, and he or she, will will understand me a little bit better. And the same way, I think men can use this and say, oh, well, maybe that person thinks I'm a bully because I'm so direct with my language. I'm going to throw in a hedge now and then to let them know I'm, I'm not really wed to this idea as strongly as it came across. Okay, here's okay, your so next I- book. A book, a handbook of hedges. <laughs> A handbook of hedges, right? I can see, I can see the, a bush and a little hedge trimmer. I actually did that yes. this morning. Um, okay, great. I'm going to write that idea down. <laughs> a little Maybe pocket be, handbook of hedges I, that you can use can, if you're not used to Right. Maybe we should consider using hedges. <laughs> yeah, there that, you go. There that's you go. the hedge <laughs> title for the hedge book. It might be a good idea to use a hedge now and then. Right. <laughs> I'm no expert. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, okay. Well, you know, we've talked uh, quite a bit about the interruptions, and we've demonstrated it quite a bit. Um, let's talk about these dependent clauses. First of all, for mm-hmm. those of us who've been out of English for a while, what's a dependent clause? Oh, yes. So uh, a dependent clause is, you know, back in school when particularly Ben has a background in linguistics, so I give him a lot more credit for for doing these and, and refining and making sure we were coding them correctly. Um, but it, it's it's a phrase that has both a subject and a verb, but it's not a sentence by itself. It usually starts with uh, because, since, although, one of those, or maybe uh, like which, that. So our, our example here is Paul wants an employee who is willing to cut corners. So the who is willing to cut corners. So 
basically, you when I say that, that someone... You make that a separate sentence just by getting rid of right. the conjunction. Yeah. Basically, it's when, some, when you say, oh, someone's using more dependent clauses, you're saying their sentences are longer, more syntactically complex, um, more advanced. So, you know, babies don't use dependent clauses. <laughs> right? <laughs> Think of it that way. Yes. So yes. what we found is that, that women used more dependent clauses. And so this one is a lot harder to interpret than the interpret one, uh, than the interruption one, to be perfectly honest. However, one, one thing that it could mean is that um, females tend to be more elaborate in their speech. They tend to go on more descriptive as opposed to men being more succinct and direct. Mm-hmm. Okay. This might get back to that what you mentioned before about how men – sort of say a point and women make explain a point or something. Maybe it's along the line where men just sort of get right to it, whereas women elaborate and essentially use more dependent. The way we kind of measure that is use more dependent clauses. So their sentences were longer. They talked, um, had more words in that. They're more complicated language than the men had. Okay. Um, the Why? <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah, so like I said, harder to explain than the interruptions. Um, it, it could be that uh, it's more about their tendency. Um, it could be that men know this about women, and that's why when they talk to women, they try to use more longer sentences also because they're trying to talk like their communication partner does in order to affiliate or get close to them. Um, we're not we're not sure exactly. Okay. Okay. No one knows why. <laughs> well, you can never be sure. That's what research is about. We can just kind of sum it up. No one knows why. <laughs> um, yeah. The, so, the thing that's interesting that we found, this sort of, goes on to to another topic is um that the the analogy i used in in the end of the article is that maybe you have a southern dialect but you only really use it when you're speaking to another southerner okay even if that southerner isn't using the as thick of a southern dialect, you know that person's from the south, and so you feel comfortable using your southern dialect. And importantly, you try to use more of a southern dialect in order to let that other person know that you are relating to them somehow. And so we okay. think that could be why people used more dependent clauses when they were talking to the to the female, uh, because people think of women as talking more and using longer sentences. And so when the the participants were using those more dependent clauses with the female, it was to try to affiliate with the female. Okay. Kind of goes back to Um, that code switching thing we talked about where you, you switch codes. And so you try to talk like the person you want to affiliate with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so what is the benefit of using those clauses? I mean, it, 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 you're, you're talking about affiliation, but mm-hmm. the more clauses you tack on, the less likely your point is going to be clear. That's the old English in me, well, teacher in me. 
So I guess my question is, so are we accomplishing something other than actual verbal, by tacking on these clauses, are we we accomplishing something in our verbiage other than just the conveying the words? Well, sure. I think we're demonstrating our intellect. We're being more more uh, precise in our language. So getting back to babies, when baby says ball, as opposed to an older kid that says, I want the ball, as opposed to an adult that says, could you please hand me the red ball that's behind that chair? Yeah. I mean, as you, as your sentences get more syntactically complex, you're, you're, demonstrating your own intelligence, your own vocabulary, I mean, things like that. You're also holding the floor for longer, um, I guess, as, as adults. But I think, for example, in, in think about when you read books. The books that have really long sentences are very vivid, and they really create imagery as opposed to the newspaper that really is just trying to get the point across, and so their sentences are shorter and more complex, uh, more simple. Mm-hmm. So the, I think that's why um, why we still have long sentences is because they 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 can be beautiful they can paint uh, better pictures and have our communication be enhanced that way. So Again, not necessary, but nice. Well, we're kind of coming back to that notion with the interruption that women may may um, talk to convey something other than just the particular message that the words hold. That's my little theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're yeah. welcome to use it. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting is that men actually use more words, like if you count the number of words that our male participants use versus our females. Men talk more, which is shocking to yeah. uh, a lot of people. But um, men actually use more words. However, women use sort of longer structured sentences. People okay, think women talk more. So I I thought that was kind of an because we measured both words and dependent clauses and and uh, dependent clauses came up as something people modified depending on who they were talking to, but total number of words didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, all right. So you saw that women used more dependent clauses, but in earlier parts of this conversation we talked about the context well, of whether it's a man talking to a woman or a woman talking yeah. to a man. Well, we, did you we find saw that women there? used, no, we saw that people used more dependent clauses when they were talking to the woman Ah, than when okay. they were talking to the man. So that's why I'm saying, like, I'm not sure if those males, so it's a male participant, but he talked to a female and a male. And when he talked, when that same person talked to the female, he used more dependent clauses than when he talked to the male. And I think that's because you have this notion that women use more dependent clauses, which in other research has shown, uh, in other research it hasn't. But So you have this notion that women use more dependent clauses. And so I think that male participant was trying to affiliate with the, the female by doing what he assumes female do and he didn't need to do that with the male because he assumes males don't do that. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, but what about when women talk to women as opposed to women talking to men? Do women use more um, dependent clauses when they're talking with other women? 
Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So no matter the gender, if you're talking to a woman, we have a tendency to use more dependent clauses. Yes. And that's why my explanation of I think it's because we're trying to affiliate with that woman who we think has more dependent clauses is not as <laughs> – it's not, it's not as oh, sexy as the interruption explanation. <laughs> oh, honey, look at those dependent clauses you have. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Science takes all the fun out of it, doesn't it? <laughs> so, um, okay, so dependent clauses, and again, you're looking at context. You're looking at differences not only in the speaker but in the who is spoken to. Um right. This is a very what what led you to do this research? Well, a few things. One is this notion that I just I just didn't didn't buy the dominance theory. I do, I don't think that uh men and women are just sort of born with or culturally influenced to use these different different languages. And as I read more of the more recent research and and found out about these um sort of mediating variables and the whole context matter things, that, that made more sense. And there's much much more evidence, and I think more recent modern research uh, supports that. And, and I really love the accommodating uh, theory. It's called communication accommodation theory. Um, Dr. Giles, Howard Giles, uh, is probably who you would look up if you wanted more information about it. But I found that more useful to think not about my gender or – but to think about what I wanted to, to achieve in the communicative interaction. So when I talk to people as a speech-language pathologist, and, and I'm often talking actually to transgender people, um, particularly trans women who have lived some part of their life as male because they were assigned male as at birth, but are now planning to live in a female role and, and live as their genuine gender present as female and they say well what word should I use and and so I thought well I don't know that you should use certain words um, some people train them to to use hedges or tag questions um, but I, I really started thinking about like I'm going to give them advice I, I need to research and make sure I'm giving them the right advice as a as a speech language pathologist and, and train them appropriately in their language use and I found that without telling them you know, it's not a cookbook. I didn't want to say, oh, you're going to talk as female now? Use these words because females use these words. That is just such a shallow, um, incomplete answer, in my opinion. I will really now talk about, think about uh, what you need to achieve. Is this someone at work that you have an a employer relationship with? Do you want to accommodate and, and sort of converge with that person? Or do you want to diverge and, and distinguish yourself from that person? And pay attention to your language as well as their language. I think this has, this has uh, potential for a lot of sort of interpersonal communication mishaps. And, and I think if we understood what intentions people have as opposed to how they come across – and we could align those better, it, it would solve a lot of, of offenses when people feel offended. I find that in your conversation just now, it, it struck me, um, you know, how we all come at things from our, with our own 
you know, backgrounds. And you, you're talking about um, um, helping the transgender uh, women talk mm-hmm. like women. Um, so that, uh, and as you were saying that, I thought, well, but don't women want to talk more like men so they're taken more seriously? Oh, oh, I actually said that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. See, and what I would, what I sort of tell these these women that I um, train here at the clinic is, um, talk like a boss, talk like an authority, or talk like a friend, as opposed to talk like a female boss, talk like a female friend. I just, mm-hmm. I, I think we we can take that out. There, there actually is a good brief article by Howard Giles that that gives the examples of of how this theory, the accommodation theory, plays out in real life. And he gives lots of examples of, um, you know, police and also across the, the age spans, how older people in nursing homes get called, you know, my dear and sweetie and all those sort of diminutive. And so if you do training and train nurses not to use those, then the elderly residents don't, don't feel as discriminated against. Also, when elderly people are talking about like ex- sort of negative stereotypes about the youth and talking about the good old days, the, they are saying that to demonstrate sort of their um, healthy adjustment and the fact that, that they've coped with all these trials in their lives. But the youth are interpreting that as okay, they don't like me and they don't like what I'm doing. They just wish I was just like them. And so there's this miscommunication. And if, if, if they could instead, that's called under-accommodation, where you're not understanding the other perspective and you're missing the other person's intense, intention. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all these applications for this idea of being cognizant of saying what you mean, how you mean it, and then noticing what other people mean by it. So when someone interrupts you before getting offended, think about, well, maybe they're doing that because they think that we're closer than we are. Maybe they're not, but you should consider it. Um, Sure. So I think that that's really what I've learned from, from studying this theory is that it's not always just about your own gender or even the gender of the person you're talking to. Context really matters. And if you just pause a minute and think about what, what they might be trying to do by that linguistic marker, such as uh, a syntactically complex sentence or a lot of self-referencing pronouns using me and I all the time, think about why they're doing that uh, it can actually tell you something about how they're trying to relate to you. Because usually when you're communicating, it's to give it to another person, right? So yes. w- w- there's some intent there. And so I would I would just practice okay, you're not being clear thinking about me. that intent. What, what, okay. When you're talking about that, I mean, I'm looking at you know, so I'm, I'm going to ask you some more questions about this. Uh, the personal mm-hmm. pronouns, and, and we have often been taught that the I, me, you don't want to avoid that in speech because it's selfish, it's self-focused, blah, blah, blah. Um, is that mm-hmm. what you're saying, or are you saying that, wait a minute, there's another thing to think about if somebody's constantly using the I, me, besides, oh, that's a selfish little person? Well, so there's... <laughs> The self-references, which is the I and me, have been attributed uh, pretty equally to males and females. It depends on whether it's an interview or in speeches. Um, the personal right. pronouns 
are more about uh, attributed to females because those that means that females just talk about people more than um, other nouns and Okay, I'm not clear on that. So women tend to use more of those personal pronouns in their speech. Mm-hmm. But, okay. but the self-reference is about think? I and me, men and women, it, it's a mixed bag. The research doesn't really know who uses those more. Okay. So where a man might say um, the weather is very hot and sticky, a woman might say I, I felt the weather very hot, made me hot and sticky. I'm, I'm hot and sticky. Sure. I'm hot and sticky. There you go. Um, and why that difference? Do we know? We don't, and and we don't actually know that women do that more than men. Ah, okay, all right. Um, and what is the significance of using those personal pronouns in a communication context? So a personal pronoun could be like him, her, they. It's not necessarily about yourself. It doesn't have to be first person. Okay, all right, okay. Right. Thank you for clarifying that for me because I was just kind of a little right. stuck on the that one. The self-reference. Um, a yeah, pronoun me, me, can be me, me. about any person. So the fact yeah. that women use more personal pronouns, he, her, them, is because doesn't women mean talk that about people. Self-referencing more. Right. Yes. Okay. Both male right. and female self-reference. Depending on the article, I mean, you flip a coin, a different article says different thing as to who says more of those self-references. Okay. All right. And what does that say, the self-references, what does that mean from a communication context? If I'm speaking with somebody when, who's doing constant self-referencing, does that tell me something about them? Does it tell me something about how I should uh, uh, speak with them uh, in order to have an effective conversation? Or you just don't know what the heck I'm saying? <laughs> well, I think it's... Um, and and the latter choice on, is perfectly on, acceptable. <laughs> it depends on what your intent is. So often when we see people giving speeches, when they're talking about I and me, it seems very self-centered. However, when you're in an uh, interpersonal conversation with two people, when you're talking about emotions, you want to say I and me because those are things you can't argue against. Um, so, again, it gets back to am I using the word that communicates my intention? Because if I'm not, then miscommunication is going to happen and misunderstanding okay. is going to happen. Okay. And one of the questions I had on my little list you've already kind of addressed, and that is age. I'm assuming that your study mm-hmm. population was probably college students? Uh, yeah, mostly. Yeah, yeah. Undergrad and so grad students. Mm-hmm. Do you think, um, uh, would you hypothesize that your study results uh, uh, would have been different if you had been working with a population in their 50s, perhaps? Sure, I think so. I, I think that is one of the challenges of trying to look at this body of research that really started in the 70s. And, and when I, I say, oh, well, such and such finding was from 1977, and that's in contrast to a study from 19 or 2007. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't surprise me that it's a contrast because our our culture was so different, and that's just another indication that culture influences our language, uh, not necessarily our our biology. And if culture influences our language, that means it will continue to change. And as our culture is changing faster, our language will change faster which makes it a, a little elusive. Something that changes slower is people's intentions in their communication, which is why I think it's really important to, to get to that and try to interpret their intentions in a more current context than in the context of the 70s. 
Yeah, right. Very good. Um, the other question that I had as we were conversing is um, it's almost as if you're suggesting that we mirror the language of somebody that we're speaking with in order to communicate, or are you not? Am I making that up, too? Sure, that's fine. <laughs> that's actually... Uh, I'm making yeah, up a lot would, in this conversation. <laughs> no, I would, love, I would love for you to attribute that advice to me, but that is a common... Um, that is a common tool to do what the mirror is a great word, mirror the other person in order to gain trust or affiliation. Usually it's talked about in terms of body language, Mm -hmm. but uh, I think what we, our little attempt at explaining the dependent clauses is kind of going off of that same idea is that, um, you know, flattery is the best uh, compliment. What is that phrase? Flattery is the best. Actually, I think it's copying it's, is the best form of flattery. Something to do with flattery like a, uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know. Okay, so I think yes, mirroring would be great when you're talking to someone. Sit the same way that that they're sitting. Uh, use the same kind of words that, that they're using. Uh, interrupt that the same amount. That might work unless you both have unless you're both following that same advice at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you start to look silly. You're both just sitting there staring at each other. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but that, that's often used. I've I've heard it applied on uh, for like dating advice. Even um, you can tell really? that the date is going well if you reach for your glass and drink at the same time. I mean, this is not something I have empirical evidence for, but just to yeah. sort of explain it, the, that mirroring concept is definitely out there and, and has research, and I think it, it could be applied in something even like language. Very good. So what I've taken away from our conversation today um, is that language, that communication, well, let's say, just say language, uh, can be used to convey ideas but it can also be used to affiliate, and it can be used to establish dominance or power. We didn't touch on this very much, but when you were making the comment about, um, you know, maybe a, it might be a red flag if somebody interrupts you, or, or you know, you, that mm-hmm. what you were describing is something that's very much in, consistent with my studies and my my um, training on domestic violence issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. when you use that uh, communication to establish dominance. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's probably not out there a lot, but it's probably out there a little. So what I'm hearing, what I, I've heard from you during our program today is that language can convey ideas, but it can also be used to affiliate. I think that that's not earth-shaking information, but I think the way you presented it has been really fascinating. So thank you for that. What in the future? for this kind of study. Do you have other things in the pipeline that you're working on? Uh, Well, I I tend to work on transgender research. So any any differences between males and females, we want to really capitalize to help our trans people who operate in in a binary gender identity. So they they do want to be perceived as female or as male um, to help them know how to do that. Um, Now, not every transgender person cares how they're perceived. Not every transgender person is sort of binary, just these two genders. They they can be more fluid. But for the trans people who say, I want people to call me ma'am, then I will 
do anything I can to help them, whether that's changing their voice pitch and how their voice sounds, which is most of what I do, or helping them figure out uh, the language to use or helping them figure out the body language and, and posture to use. Any, anything that helps them do that is what I'm interested in. My next study next year is actually trying to do that with minority transgender people. So maybe the rules that I've told my my white clients are, are different than the rules I've told I, I need to tell my African-American or um, Hispanic, Puerto Rican clients. So understanding how the race culture then is, comes to intersection with the gender culture is, is my next step. So I'm going from complicated to super complicated. Wow. Yeah, extensive, extensive research, I, I'm sure, uh, that you need to do for that work that you do. So, well, thank you very much. You've given me a lot to think about, and I hope that our listeners have also found a lot to think about. And uh, it's been surprisingly fun. So thank Good. you. Well, thank you. I've, I've enjoyed talking, and, and I'm glad that we, we interrupt and we've affiliated well. So Good. thank you so much. Good. Now, my sign is Taurus, and I have my favorite – no, no, we're not affiliating that much, huh? <laughs> no, not that, not that direction. Not, that's not my kind of science. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Adrian, and I look forward to seeing the future studies that you do. This one, I think, has been particularly good, and when you're ready to write that handbook for Hedges, give me a call. <laughs> Great. Thanks so much, Heather. Great. Good topic. And uh, we have a good topic next week as well. It's kind of an interesting one. We have Barbara Paradiso, who is the head of the University of Colorado Denver's uh, program on gendered violence. And we have Meryl Cousin, who is the executive director for King County's um, um and I'm forgetting their correct name, but uh, they also uh, have an organization in Seattle uh, for King County on gendered violence. And what is interesting, I think, about our show next week is we're going to talk about all of these names. What used to always be domestic violence, then became gendered violence, then became intimate partner abuse, then it became intimate terrorism, then it became gendered violence. What's with the names? Um, is a rose? smelling the same, whether we call it domestic violence or intimate terrorism or gendered violence. What is the difference and why does it matter? Um, so Miro Cousins and Barb Paradiso uh, are going to be joining us for that show. I always end our show with a quote, and boy, looking at the quotes for, for this topic this week, Adrian, we're, America, uh, we're just kind of amazing. And uh, I wanted to share this quote from Johnny Depp, one of our all-time um, most influential philosophers in our culture, Johnny Depp, he says, you got to be careful. Don't say a word to nobody about nothing anytime ever. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of a cautionary tale, you know, in particularly twisted uh, uh, <laughs> uh, con uh, uh, context here. But I thought, you know yeah. what, that one's funny, but let me do Especially another one. Especially for the radio. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so let's go with Bernard Baruch. Most of the successful people I've known are the ones who do more listening than talking. Also an interesting quote for a radio program. Very good. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Three Women, Three Ways. Join us next week when we talk about what's in a name when it comes to gendered issues. And thank you, Adrian Hancock, for being with us today. Join us again next week, Three Women, Three Ways. <laughs>